I would invite you to take your copies of God's Word and turn in them to the book of Exodus. Exodus is the second book in the Bible. As soon as you open it, you find Genesis, which was penned by Moses. And then we come to Exodus, which is also written by Moses, but contains the story of his life and the liberation of the Israelites by the Lord our God. This evening we're going to be looking at chapter 14, which is perhaps one of the most visually stunning events in all of redemptive history. The crossing of the Red Sea after the Lord parts the Red Sea by the people of Israel. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely without error. Exodus chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Piharoath, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal Ziphon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, What is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him. And he took six hundred chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamped by the sea by, by Piharoath in front of Baal Zaphon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. 
And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning, watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into panic clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in His servant, Moses. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we ask this evening that you would teach us from your word, that you would teach us to trust you, to know who you are, to see you in your mighty power, and to know that your power fights on behalf of your people. Lord, open our eyes that we may believe in you and trust you. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. We love an underdog, don't we? Whether it's the World Series, or business, or even politics, Americans love the underdog so much that often it's a good strategy to position yourself as the underdog. That tendency that we have might, we think, make it easy for us to understand the story before us tonight in Exodus 14. 
After all, it would be easy for us to root for a ragtag group of Israelites against the proud Egyptians. How we would glory in seeing the Israelites win against all odds and the Egyptians get their comeuppance. The problem is, however, that if we take that view, we miss the main point of the story. As we shall see, it is actually the Egyptians who are the underdog. That's because they are opposing the one who is the most able and who never fights against the odds. The story today is about the victory of God, not Israel, and about how God is glorified, not Israel. And so this evening, I would like us to see five things from our text. Yes, five. First, preparation for salvation in the first ten verses. Then we see Israel's unbelief by sight. And then thirdly, we see God's purpose in the midst of this story. And then fourthly, we see God's power displayed in this story. And then finally, we see Israel's belief by faith. Let's begin then by looking at preparation for salvation in verses 1 through 10. We begin by seeing that God prepares Israel for His work of salvation. And so the very first thing that we must notice is that this is no accident. It's not as if the Israelites just happened to come up, backed up against the Red Sea. I think sometimes when we think generically, without looking at the text before us, of the story of the parting of the Red Sea, we imagine the Israelites kind of wandering around, going this way and that way, and after getting a bit lost, they find themselves smack up against the Red Sea with nowhere else to go. What an unfortunate accident. But that's not what's happening here. God didn't miss something. He didn't make a mistake. He doesn't have to save the day at the last minute. No, God takes his people and he brings them to exactly the place where they have no choice but to trust him. There is no escape by their own hand. You see this specifically in verse 2. The Lord tells Moses to tell the people of Israel to go exactly to this spot. He directs them perfectly to this place. Now, often this is the case with the many details and circumstances of our lives. Have you ever lost a job and not known how you will feed your family? Have you ever had a family crisis? Or perhaps seen a loved one in the midst of a health problem, such that these things were beyond your control and your only choice was to flee to God? It's easy to see the hand of God on the far side of the Red Sea. Where we need to see God is on the near side, that God is with us. And what God is doing here is he's acting in a fashion like a parent who so arranges the circumstances of his children that they can't help but come to look to him. It's even as if the child thinks it was his idea to go to the parent. 
And so God has set this up where Israel has no escape by their own means, but they must come to him. And to the world, this looks like foolishness. Look at verse 3. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. To the eyes of the world, this is foolishness. God and Israel have made a terrible mistake. They don't know what they're doing. They don't even know how to escape properly. But we know that God is preparing Israel for salvation. God is also not only preparing Israel for salvation, He's preparing Egypt for His work of salvation. And God is in control of all of these circumstances. And He's preparing all of these circumstances for His glory. He's not only prepared His people for redemption, but He has so ordered events that even the wrath of man will come to praise Him, as the psalmist says in Psalm 76. God knows Pharaoh's true heart. He knows Pharaoh's unbelief. He knows that Pharaoh has not let Israel go because he has come to faith, to trust God, to know that the Lord is the true Lord of all. No. He knows that Pharaoh still is mired in unbelief and wickedness. And so God will now make sure that Pharaoh will know that he is the Lord. That's what God tells us and Moses in verse 4. And so Pharaoh, in his unbelief, pulls out all of the stops. You could just imagine, if this were on film, Pharaoh gathering up an army resplendent in armor with glimmering shields and spears and swords, glinting in the sun as he gathers up all of his forces and all of not only the chariots, but his choice chariots, his crack troops. You can imagine the the high morale of the Egyptian army, knowing that they're going to go out and attack a ragtag group of ex-slaves who don't have weapons, who aren't skilled in the art of war, they can imagine that this will be an easy victory. They think that there's no one that can stop them. Now, if you are listening to my voice this morning, and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, there is a word of warning in this. The circumstances must have seemed perfect to Pharaoh. Israel is delayed. His mighty army is prepared. And the sea has trapped Israel. But all these seeming good fortunes only show to serve the greater sin of Pharaoh and the greater glory of God. Don't be like Pharaoh. Instead... Look and see God in the midst of your circumstances. The second thing that we see in verses 10 through 12 is Israel's unbelief as they use the eyes of sight. Israel begins by doubting God's character. Look at verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? The first reaction of the Israelites on seeing the Egyptians was great fear. Remember, they have just been freed by the power of God. 
And they were there by the command of God. But all of a sudden they forget all that as they look out and see their enemy. And they make an accusation that is as cruel as you can possibly imagine. They charge Moses, and yes, God, with a callousness and with harboring delight in their suffering. It's as if they're saying, well, you could have killed us in Egypt, but were you thinking there weren't enough graves? You had to take us out here and kill us this way? Is this what you've gone to all this effort for, God, just to kill us here? They do not think this is a mistake. They imagine that God is guilty of the worst evil. Now, this is often a part of our lives more than we choose to admit. When we are in difficulty, we accuse God in our hearts of secretly delighting in our suffering, desiring our suffering, as if He delights in disobedient children or in sinful employers or in times of trouble. Israel has doubted God's character. But they do more than that. They also doubt God's ability. They, they doubt His ability to determine what is best for His people. Instead, they rely on their own knowledge. They say in verse 12, Isn't this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone. We want to serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here. They doubt God's ability to see to the end of events. They say, it would have been better for us to have remained slaves. Now, notice what this requires is forgetting what God has done. Hasn't God just brought the plagues on Egypt? Didn't God just free them from this mighty Pharaoh and his army? You see, our trust in the Lord is only as good as its latest appearance. Do you trust God today? You can look to the past for help, but you must trust Him today. It's not enough to have trusted Him before. He must be your hope and trust today. The third thing that we see in verses 13 through 18 is we see God's purpose in bringing all of this about. And in verse 13 we see that God alone will save His people. Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. All Israel has to do is stand and watch the Lord at work. Moses tells them to stand still. Don't do anything. Only watch and you'll see. Now, did Moses know what God was going to do? Had God told him of his plan to part the Red Sea? We have no hint of that here in the text. And so I believe it is likely that Moses simply had total trust in the Lord. He had seen the Lord rescue him and Israel so many times. He had seen God be faithful to his promises and to his word. And so even if Moses did not know what was going to happen, he knew that God would come through. He knew that God would keep His promise. Now, 
Moses did know exactly what the problem was. He had tried before to preempt the time. He had failed. Do you remember that in Exodus chapter 2? Where he had tried to bring about the redemption of Israel, the rescue of Israel by attacking the Egyptian. And that was not God's timing. And Moses then spent the next 40 years in exile in Midian preparing to come as God's messenger, Moses learned his lesson to wait for God's timing, to watch God's work, to know that salvation is of the Lord, not of us. I think perhaps one of the greatest challenges for Christians is not to get ahead of God and His work. It's not just a failure to act that's a problem, but at times it's when we act in an untimely fashion, when we're not patient with the Lord, when we think we can bring about God's will. And so God then shows how He will fight for His people. God is active for His people. Moses tells them, the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Now this is interesting. Israel is not even to speak. The way that Moses puts it, is actually a bit sharp. It's as if he's saying, keep your mouth shut. Be quiet. Don't speak a word. Just watch. See what God will do. Stand there, and God will work salvation. Now, Moses can say this because they're obviously in a spot where only God can work salvation. This is something that only God can do. And yet, even in the midst of this, God gives the Israelites a visible human reminder. God doesn't need Moses to stretch out his staff to part the Red Sea. Of course not. But Israel has seen God work through Moses and his staff in the bringing of the plagues. And so God uses these visible reminders to us of his mighty power. God still does that today most prominently in His sacraments. We remember the power of God in the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Visible events designed to remind us of the power of God and that God is at work. So God not only fights for His people, God shows us that His purpose is His glory. That's what he says explicitly in verses 17 and 18. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Now, why has God done this, bringing Israel to the Red Sea? Is it to teach Israel a lesson? Is it to fix a mistake? No. The answer is found in the text that we just read. It's so that God will be known for His glory. God will be glorified over all the powers of the world, and as a result, they will know exactly who He is. God. The fourth thing that we see in our text this evening is God's power displayed in verses 19 through 29. First, 
God's power is displayed in mercy. And He displays it in His merciful protection of the Israelites. Do you notice that the angel of the Lord moves between the host of Israel and the Egyptians, protecting Israel? Now, I think sometimes when we think of this story, we imagine that the Red Sea parts, and just before the Egyptians can get to them, they scurry into the Red Sea and go across on dry land. But that's not what our text tells us. It tells us that God puts the pillar of the cloud, the angel of God, the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ, between His people and their enemies. And... He keeps them separate so that no one comes to the other all night. God in His mercy protects His people. But He does more than protect them. He also provides for them in verse 22. The people of Israel go out into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall on the left and on the right side. This is God's provision. He parts the sea and gives them dry ground. Over and over again, we are told this. What could be the purpose for telling us that over and over again, but to remind us that not only has God parted the sea, He's made it easy for the Israelites to go through. And then He accomplishes the deliverance of His people. They go out all the way through to the other side. Their Israel is safe. And even in this, God has a future mercy planned for Israel. Because the word of this display of God's power will precede Israel into the promised land. In Joshua chapter 2 we read how the pagan kings heard of how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. So God is not only giving a mercy to Israel here, He's preparing mercy for them as they go into the promised land. He's striking fear into the hearts of their enemies because they know what the Lord has done. God's power is displayed in mercy. And then, God's power is displayed in judgment. The same power and action that was for mercy for Israel is for judgment Egypt. The Egyptians just assume it was natural what was happening. They don't know exactly why the Red Sea is parting. You can imagine the conversation. It's the first time they've ever seen a sea part. And yet, in a shocking display, they decide, let's go in after the Israelites. I'd like to know who had that bright idea. The thought that it was just a happenstance, that the sea just happened to part, and there happened to be walls on the left and the right. That this had nothing to do with the great conflict that had been going on for some time between God and Pharaoh, between Israel and Egypt. And so they believe they can exploit this. You could almost imagine the conversation. This is wonderful. There's dry ground here. Our chariots will go even faster. We will ride the Israelites down. What this shows is they had no belief at all in God. Their moving forward shows this. Their unbelief then is actually the cause of their destruction. Because they put themselves into the place of judgment. That's what we do when we mock God. 
When we tell God to his face that he doesn't exist and we don't care. That we're just fine without him. That we don't need forgiveness. That we don't need freedom from sin. That we are just fine the way we are. When we do that, we put ourselves in the place of destruction. It's not that God has to seek us out as sinners. As sinners, we delight in the place of destruction and judgment. This is a warning that we have if we trust not in the Lord Jesus Christ. The final thing that we see in the last few verses, verses 30 and 31, is we see Israel's belief by faith. Now, notice how verse 30 begins. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day. Now, it starts with God. Israel's faith begins with the action of God. This is what Paul means when he says, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. The word of God is first. It is primary. God always acts first. We do not go seeking him. He seeks us. He brings salvation to us. God didn't wait for Israel to reach out to him. God didn't wait for Israel to show themselves worthy. No, God enters in to their predicament, to their distress. And he works salvation. And from seeing that work of God, Israel's belief arises. Israel saw the great work of the Lord, Moses tells us. And the result was first that they feared the Lord. And second, that they believed in him. Have you seen God's work in the Lord Jesus Christ? What is your response to seeing that work? Is it belief? Do you trust the Lord? Do you fear him and his judgment? And do you seek the safe harbor of the Lord Jesus Christ and his work? Because that's how salvation comes to you. When you see the work of God, and you believe, and you trust. Now, there is no doubt about it. God will be glorified. He is in complete control. He has thought of everything. He has the power to do all His will. The only question is whether or not we will be believing. Will we be faithful or will we be unbelieving? Will we doubt God and turn to our own fear, detriment, and trouble? Or will we trust Him for our own salvation? That's what this story teaches us this evening. It teaches us that God works the salvation of his people. And if we trust in him, there is no situation beyond his power. He is mighty to save. If you are here this evening thinking to yourself, but pastor, you don't know what a sinner I am. You don't know all the things I've done. You don't know all the time I've wasted. You're right, I don't. But God does. There is no too late for God. 
If your back is up against the wall, there is time yet to believe in Jesus. There is time yet to find forgiveness and grace. You are never too far gone for the mighty work of Jesus Christ. He is the mighty Savior. Let's pray.